Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective Podcast. I'm Ted Berg. I'm very angry about sports, and I'm joined on the line, as always, by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton, who is probably a slightly more reserved about sports today. I am. I am also angry about sports, Ted. I'm this. I'm trying to restrain it, but in in my voice, you can hear the tempest inside of me. Always, uh, we have been um, rested from our off-season slumber by some Mets news. Uh, some positive, but more notably, some it feels negative. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, uh, I assume it sounds, sounds like it's a done deal at this point, will be playing for the Los Angeles Angels next year, uh, turning down the Mets' qualifying offer of $18.4 million uh, in favor of a $21 million one-year deal to go join Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and... Also, stab a back. There's a, uh, that's not what I meant to say. Stab a knife into the back <laughs> of the Mets fan base. I'm being tongue-in-cheek. I don't actually feel this way, but people definitely do. Yeah, so, you know, on uh, it, is a, it is a done deal. The Angels have announced it by now. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, I think Mets fans, uh, I guess the responsible ones, were already awake when the news broke. But I was woken up by it uh, that... Uh, Noah Syndergaard was close to a deal with the Angels. I think it was Jeff Passan who broke the story that it was it was it was happening. Uh, and you know, I think like most people, I expected Syndergaard to take the qualifying offer. I think looking at his market, it seemed like it was unlikely that he would get more on the open market, uh, especially if a team had to give up a draft pick. But the Angels uh, are a team that has been looking for pitching uh, for I don't know twelve years ever. <laughs> um, yeah. Still reeling from John Lackey's decision to sign in Boston, uh, you know. The, so a, a team that is desperate enough in those circumstances uh, made the decision to to give up their second round draft pick uh, for a one year deal for Syndergaard at twenty one million dollars. It's, you know, I, I think the the notion that the Mets were overpaying at the qualifying offer it might have been a slight overpay, but I think, uh, you know, I know. Uh, I mean, apparently not. Right, like right. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. evidently not. Uh, but I know, like uh, SNY was was using like the Corey Kluber contract last year with the Yankees of one year and eleven million as like its benchmark for what Syndergaard would make, and I thought that was uh, wrong all off season. That uh, you know, Kluber was thirty five, coming off multiple different injuries with a velocity that had decreased significantly even before then, uh, and Syndergaard is twenty nine and was coming off one injury that is fairly common in the sport and that we've seen plenty of people bounce back from, uh, and. Guys who were coming off that specific injury, the Tommy John surgery, had in the past, you know, Drew Smiley got two years and $11 million when he was going to miss the first season from the Cubs several years ago. Maybe it was 10. It was in that range. 
Mm-hmm. Garrett Richards got two and 15 or 15 and a half from the Padres when he was going to miss the first season. Uh, and Yeah, Michael Pineda got a deal like that too, right? Right. And, you know, Syndergaard is better than those pitchers. Uh, he's got a better mm-hmm. track record. He's, he's better at his best. He's, he's healthy more often, certainly, than Richards was. So to me, the, the baseline was that he was going to get $16 million or something like that. Uh, and so uh, giving him you know, the qualifying offer made perfect sense to me. Uh, I thought a two-year deal, there, there might have been somewhere to, to, to work something out there, but it, that was going to be a little bit more difficult because I, I wasn't sure Syndergaard would want that second year necessarily. Um, and I think judging by what he signed it, he probably didn't. Uh, so, you know, the, the angels decided to go the extra step. There's a lot of Mets fans who are upset because Syndergaard said he wanted to be in New York. Uh, and because he's not, uh, they, they view that as, as you very seriously did. I, I read no sarcasm at all or insincerity into anything you say. Uh, they feel stabbed in the back. Uh, but you know, things change over the course of six weeks, uh, six weeks where, you know, according to the, the New York Post, uh, the Mets haven't been in uh, very communicative with, with Noah Syndergaard uh, over that stretch because who's going to communicate with him? They don't have really a front office at this point. Uh, they're still Right, who is he? Like, that's what, but everybody's saying, like, oh, but the Mets didn't make him a counteroffer. It's like, do they even know who to call to, to get a counteroffer? Like, do you have the phone number of the person who's now handling that? You know, is it still Sandy, uh, Sandy Alderson? And, like, um, in the Joel Sherman report that you're referring to, they talked about the Angels presenting their plan for Syndergaard. There's no one to present the Mets' plan for Syndergaard because there's no one who even has a plan for Syndergaard with the Mets. So, like, I could totally understand, just from that standpoint, if even if it's not about $2.6 million extra dollars, uh, which you can't blame them for taking, it, just from the standpoint of, like, hey, you know what? Like, this team has ideas of what we're going to do. They're going to use a six-man rotation. That's going to help Syndergaard on on his comeback from, from injury. He's going to get to go play with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Uh, he's going to get Southern California, which who, who, wouldn't, who wouldn't want? Like, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's hard for me to, like, I think it could be absolutely true that he believed three weeks ago or whatever that was that... The qualifying offer was the best he was going to get. He couldn't envision playing anywhere else because he couldn't envision getting better than the qualifying offer, um, and and that he really liked playing in New York. Like I, you know, I don't doubt any of those things. It's just a better offer came along. Yeah, and, and this is a really important season for him. Obviously, coming up, that you know, if he wants to parlay this into uh, a long-term deal before his age thirty season in twenty twenty-three and beyond. Uh, he wants everything to go right. And so a team that presents you with a plan, like here's how we, we'll do it with you. And you know, the Angels don't have uh, a ton of credibility in, in pitching. They're, they're not a team. You know, I think there are there are other teams you could have said, uh, like if Syndergaard went there, like, oh, they've got a really good track record of keeping all their pitchers healthy, uh, that maybe Syndergaard wanted a platform year with a, an organization that was better at that than the Mets certainly have been. The Angels don't really stand out that way, but they do have one of the best pitchers in the game who they have made work on a six-man rotation in the last couple of years, and especially last year uh, in Shohei Otani. Uh, so maybe uh, in that regard, like that that blueprint works for him to, to parlay this one-year kind of pillow deal into something bigger next offseason. Yeah, I, you know, I guess, yeah, that's the long and short. Like, I, I have um, dozens of people, like literally dozens of people uh, yelling at me on Twitter about the tax rate in California, um, which is like, if this is going to become a thing now, 
in in how we talk about the baseball offseason is like if like is like people who don't know how it works incidentally because it's a, it's it's complicated athletes pay taxes uh, in every state in which they work in the season it's not just a matter of uh, plugging in California's tax rate and and New York's tax rate um, the angels play lots of road games in Texas where there is no state income tax and and, and other places like there's there's a lot to it um, and I can't imagine. Like, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, I, I don't want to hear the, the accounting, the armchair accounting. I just want people to understand that, like, this is the a dude making the right choice for himself and not one that was made to spite Mets fans and not one that makes him a hypocrite for saying that he, he wanted to keep playing here. Just something that came along and he jumped at and you really logically can't blame him for it. Yeah, I mean, the, the tax thing, like you see the Mets' biggest deals of late, the ones for DeGrom and, and Francisco Lindor, both contain pretty significant signing bonuses. Those are guys who live in Florida. They don't get taxed the same on the signing bonus or the deferred money, actually, uh, as they do on the money they actually get paid, uh, which is one reason that they have pursued uh, that direction in some of their longer contracts. You know, it's it's Syndergaard getting, you know, you in baseball, there are so few chances for you to get your full market value. Uh, Noah Syndergaard finished, what, eighth in the Cy Young voting in his first full major league season in 2016, making under $600,000. Uh, and this was his opportunity to maximize his value. Uh, it's not the, you know, it's not the best point in his career to do so. Certainly there were other chances, you know, if he was a free agent at other points in his career, he would have made a lot more money than this. Uh, but you only have so many chances and I, I don't begrudge anyone from, uh, trying to maximize that those rare opportunities. And I think, like, you know, even beyond the fact that the Angels came and spoke to him, like, it's something I remembered with when Jose Reyes signed with the Marlins. Like, the Marlins offered him the most money, but the way he presented it was the Marlins wanted me the most, right? And, and you know, because baseball salaries and, and so many contract offers are made public, like, you can say demonstrably the Angels were willing to give up way more than the Mets were for his services. That means they they wanted him more. And, and like, even if you're not, like, purely motivated by the money, I I don't see how 29-year-old, 100-mile-an-hour fastball pitcher who has, you know, the utmost confidence in himself can't say, like, well, this is the team that believes in me the most. And so I'm going to go there rather than to this one I haven't heard from in a month. Yeah, I mean, I think any of our listeners who have gone through a salary negotiation or a contract negotiation at their job, like that is, it's an eye-opening process. It's a humbling process. And it's it's kind of a real process. You get a sense of, of how you are valued by the people you work for. Uh, and you kind of cut through some of the uh, flowery language around like how how companies feel about you when it comes to hard money and, and, and offers and things like that. Uh, and this, like you said, this is a case where, you know, it, it's not, maybe it's not just about the money. The money certainly helps uh, that, that the angels offered it more. That's the most uh, concrete way of expressing that you want, <laughs> that you value a, a player more. But also if, you know, the, the Mets kind of said, okay, this is going to, you know, the Mets hemmed and hawed over whether they would give him the qualifying offer in the first place. Uh, and then said, kind of, you know, here's our offer. That that's that's what it is. Uh, it's it's not necessarily you know, Syndergaard's, uh, 
he doesn't he's not obligated to go back to them and say well i got more so if you want me you can still get you still pay more uh you know it's it's his job to, to make the best decision for him and and to again maximize his earnings and and he's done that yeah and that's a that's another thing that's sort of needling me about the response to this is people saying oh but he didn't give the Mets a chance to counter offer. Um, as the Joel Sherman report lays out, like he wanted to get the deal done and 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 still have that eighteen point four million dollar uh, offer to fall back on in case he didn't pass the the Angels physical. So like there was a little bit of urgency there, and there's no like you can't say for sure that the Mets didn't make it abundantly clear when they made the offer that there would be no better offer, right? Like, why go back for a counteroffer if it's already been made clear to you that there will not be one? Yeah, you know, I did a story a few years back uh, talking to, actually it was David Ross and and Burke Badenhop, who were Red Sox players who had hit free agency. Uh, And I talked to them, uh, like, throughout the winter about what it was like going through free agency as kind of that middle class kind of uh, Mm -hmm. veteran player at that point. That was when the year Ross signed with the Cubs. Badenhop ended up signing with the Reds, I believe, in early February. Uh, and he was saying, like, you know, the Red Sox the entire offseason were like, when you get, you know, come back to us when you have something firmer in hand and we'll, we'll see what we can do. Come back to us when you got something firm. And so finally, like late January, he had a firm offer from, from Cincinnati. He went back to the Red Sox like, well, we'll see what we can do. But like, just hold on for a little. Just hold on for a little. And he's like, it's February. <laughs> like, I need to know where I'm going to play. Uh, and by that point, he was like, the way they had, had looked at me, clearly I wasn't valued the same way that I wanted to be. Uh, and so he just, you know, you go somewhere else. Uh, th- that's what the market tells you. Uh, and I, I think, you know, you can understand someone like Noah Syndergaard who, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how much the Mets talked about extending him earlier in his career or anything like that. I, you know, I'm certainly since I've been on the beat in 2018, I, I don't recall any serious conversations about a long-term extension for him that they just haven't kind of prioritized him the same way that he would he would like to be the way the angels made him feel burke badenhop a, a name and i'm i think you were on the red sox beat at this point but uh met fan misery completists will remember that burke badenhop in like the 11th inning of a game in the marlin against the marlins once had a had a game-winning rbi single to beat the mets <laughs> Um, and like, you know, he's a relief pitcher. He has like four hits or three hits his entire career. One of them, uh, it wasn't a walk-off, but, uh, it was, it was to put the Marlins ahead late over the Mets. I am surprised that I did not hear about that during his one year (laughs) with the Red Sox. Uh, he, he liked talking about, uh, all of his athletic accomplishments, uh, in a very funny way. Uh, well, yeah, well, uh, I mean, I, I, I will never forget, like, I, well, as soon as you said Burke Badenhop, I was like, oh, I remember that game, um, it's, it's, and, and, It's like, yeah. was it, was it Bobby Howery who, who struck out David Wright in 2008, when the, it was like the, the Mets were, had a big game against the Cubs, and it was, uh, like, runner on third, one out, and Wright came up and struck out against Howery, and that was like the loss that, that sealed that season, or, or sent it down the, the wrong way because that's i always pin it on bobby howry maybe maybe i'm wrong but that's the name uh that sounds right um that 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 bit of information i don't have uh accessible although i do remember that game um with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I'll believe you. There's other Mets news. Yeah, so the Mets have a general manager uh, that they're, you know, they're in the process uh, of hiring, uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking this up. It is, uh, yeah, Daniel Murphy led off the bottom of the ninth with a triple, and Bobby Howry then struck out David Wright, walked Delgado and Beltron, got a force out at home from Ryan Church, and struck out Ramon Castro. The Cubs scored three runs in the top of the tenth. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that game. Um, so, sorry. Yeah, the Mets have a, a general manager in in Billy Epler, the former Angels general manager. Uh, ironically enough, given the previous topic here. Uh, Epler was the GM in Anaheim from uh, for the 2016 through 2020 seasons. Uh, he should be introduced later this week, maybe Thursday, maybe Friday. Uh, it's it's you know it, it's probably not the type of name that you thought the Mets were going to get at the start of this process. The Angels during his five years there never had a winning season, despite possessing Mike Trout for all of them and Shohei Otani for several of them, uh, and spending a fair amount of money on their payroll. Uh, you know, the Mets clearly were not able to lure the biggest names on their list and, and struggled in even their second and third tiers. Uh, I think it's probably a better <laughs> end game scenario than uh, the one that we talked that we didn't get a chance to talk about because it went through the news cycle so quickly uh, in, in former Nationals executive Adam Cromie, who they also seriously considered and who had a meeting with Steve Cohen, the owner. Uh, but it uh, with Epler, I think it really does leave the door open to what we at the Athletic reported last week that you know David Stearns is still the the ultimate target here uh, when his contract ends, which could be as soon as the end of the 2022 season. In which case, you know he comes in as the president. Epler, who the the Post has reported that that Epler and Stearns are friends. That that's more than I know. Um, but that he would feel comfortable working under Stearns at that point. Uh, and the Mets would, would operate with that front office. So it would be kind of another year of uh, an improvised front office for them o- over the next 365 days or so. Uh, I feel like you, you made a, a bunch of interesting points in there. Um, one thing I, I feel like it's understandable to harp on is the lack of success with the Angels. Um, and we've talked about this before. Like, to me... While I, I get it, like, I get feeling that way, I also just don't think it's fair to judge someone on without knowing, like, the, the full parameters of their situation there. Um, Artie Moreno, the Rangers owner, has a reputation, right, for um, not interfering, but having a, a, a strong hand in the way the team is run. Uh, he inherited Albert Pujols' enormous and terrible contract, uh, which made things pretty tough for them, but... Um, and you know, before he worked for the angels, right. He worked for the Yankees for a long time in a, in a very successful, uh, organization that 
did develop a lot, a lot of talent. So uh, I see people that seem concerned about, uh, okay, well, how this was a guy who signed free agents and without success and didn't do a whole lot to, to develop young players, which is something the Mets need. Um, why are we to believe he can do it here? I would say because presumably to be in a position, even in the position of the Mets GM that it seems like no one wants, um, you have to be a pretty smart and competent person to be considered for that job. And you would have to hope that Billy Epler can see what the Mets need and how to best go about uh, addressing it um, and at least give him a chance to to show w- what he wants to do, right? Like, it's, it's tough to to kill a guy before you've even seen how he's going to approach a situation. Yeah, I mean, I think the Angels, like the Mets for a long time, uh, have made it difficult to evaluate their general managers. Um, mm-hmm. the, it, it's Moreno on the top. It was Mike Sosha as the manager having a lot of say uh, and kind of getting Jerry Depoto run out of there before Epler came in. Uh, and and Depoto has had, uh, I, I don't know how I don't know how to evaluate his his tenure in Seattle at this point. Yeah. It's, it's trending towards success. Active, but hasn't, an hasn't active tenure. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, you know, there there are certainly decisions that the Angels made as a team and, and as a front office that were not Eppler's on his own. Uh, it's, you know, firing Brad Osmus for one does not seem to be something that that Epler decided on his own. I've heard that you know hiring Mickey Calloway as the pitching coach, which is something that you know does not look good on your resume clearly right now, uh, is was not Epler's decision that he kind of signed off on it, but was not he was not the one who instigated that process. You can still critique him for it, obviously. Uh, so it's, you know, we, we had this with uh, with Sandy Alderson is even with, with Bertie Van Wagenen. Like, how do you judge a, a person based on the constraints put around them? Uh, I think it'll be really interesting uh, with the Mets now to see how much power and autonomy Epler gets. Because, like I said, if the plan is to bring Stearns in next year, uh, you know, how much do you trust this guy to be the head of your baseball operations right away? Uh, you know, Sandy Alderson said his role is going to be dependent on who they hire, uh, you know, dependent on that person's uh, level of experience and, and how well they would know the team. Clearly, someone like Cromie, who, who hadn't been in baseball for five seasons, uh, would have needed to lean on Alderson and the current front office a lot more than Epler would seem to have to. But I mm-hmm. think we'll get an early sense of uh which way that is headed in in how they go about the managerial search because there's kind of we kind of know who Sandy Alderson candidates are the Mets have interviewed them in the past uh and you think of guys with ties to Oakland um so you know Ron Washington and and Walt Weiss and Bob Guerin uh all guys you know Guerin was on the staff in New York uh when Alderson was was GM the first time and then Epler kind of has his guys as well the guys he interviewed in Anaheim when he hired Osmus uh, and that is, you know, well, Osmus for one stands out. Uh, and then, you know, Buck Showalter, uh, who he interviewed out there and, and who I think would probably have loomed as a candidate regardless, uh, but also has, you know, they didn't, they weren't in the Yankees organization at the same time, but they have similar roots. They know the same people. And Joe Espada, who's the Astros bench coach, I believe, uh, and was in the Yankees system when, when Epler was there. Those would be candidates kind of more in his tree. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see. Do, do all of those people come in for interviews? Is it one tree over the other? Where do the Mets look for a manager? Because uh, the other day I was just kind of exhaling like, okay, they've got a, a GM. I can relax a little bit. Uh, and I was talking to my editor and, and she dropped, well, and, and, you know, now we just have to wait for them to get a manager. I was like, oh, 
you know, for for a lot of teams, that's the, that's the main thing. Some teams don't need and some teams don't need we, either a GM or yeah. manager in the off season. The Mets needed both, and they're still looking for uh, the second of those things uh, as we were we a week away from Thanksgiving. They kind of need a pitching staff too, Tim. And and by pitching, I mean they need a coaching staff as well, which is yeah, actually yeah. A, a, you know one of the things Alderson talked about the GM meetings as actually being an issue. Uh, a worry is that you know managers you're, you're offering a promotion to any coaches around coaching staff you're not necessarily doing that so you know it, the, a lot of teams have their coaching staffs filled out the Yankees hiring Luis Rojas the other day uh, so there's not as many options for your coaching staff the Mets only have Jeremy Hefner on there uh, and then yes they need uh, they need pitching they've got DeGrom uh, Walker and Carrasco as kind of your your locks in the starting rotation to start next year. You've got McGill and Peterson as guys who have options, and you'd probably prefer not to be in your opening day rotation if everyone's healthy. Uh, so they, I think they still need two guys. You thought maybe you know Syndergaard would be one, and, and maybe they go after Marcus Stroman for the other. Stroman, who I, I thought at the beginning of the offseason, I think I, I said four for $80 million. And even the other day when Eduardo Rodriguez signed, I thought that was kind of in the ballpark of what I thought Rodriguez would sign for, maybe a little bit longer than, than I expected. Uh, but I think with, with Syndergaard signing the way he did, I think the, that cost for Stroman, and especially the way he offers kind of more dependable innings, more so than I than maybe any anyone else on the free agent market at this point, uh, will drive his cost probably into nine figures. Yeah, you got to and and I think if you're the Mets, you got to now like now you have to. I think once the the market has been set very high with starting pitchers with the Syndergaard deal, um with the Eduardo the deal Eduardo Rodriguez got with the with the Tigers, um even like Andrew Heaney who was miserable last year with the Yankees got 8.5 million guaranteed for next year. Like it feels like people are going to be paying quite a bit for starting pitching this offseason. Uh to me, I don't know. I feel like you you got to push hard for Stroman. Um we have a handful of of good questions. One um, you sort of alluded to, but I want to get at it. Uh, you did allude to it. I want to get at it quickly, though, um, and just emphasize it. This is from John Carney. He wants to know, how serious are the Mets about improving their culture and not repeating the mistakes of the past when they hire the guy who hired Dick Pick McCalloway? Um, what tangible actions have they taken to address the culture, or is that a lot of talk? Uh, I remember in addition, in addition to Callaway, like the, the, um, the angels also had like the whole Tyler and like, you know, we can't, you can't put this on Epler. Um, but the, the angels had a media relations guy who was selling drugs to players. You know, like this is not, it's not like a, uh, necessarily an organization that has covered itself in glory in, in recent seasons. Yeah. And he's on trial for it starting in January. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a really good question, and I think it's something the Mets need to answer because uh, a lot of it to this point has been words uh, and not necessarily like assuring words. You know, it hasn't been assuring, uh, as we've talked about going back to, to January, really, uh, to hear Alderson uh, talk about kind of the way they're going about change. It's kind of, oh, we're, you know, they're, they're talking to more women when they interview people. Um, sure. Yeah, that's that's one step. Uh, but as, as I've said dozens of times here, it feels like uh, they've never given off the sense that they've really grappled with uh, their role in perpetuating bad behavior, uh, whether it was the hiring of Callaway, uh, the not vetting of, of Jared Porter before they hired him, or just the other people in the organization uh, that they have, have since gotten rid of because of the Wilmer Hale investigation and, and going back to uh, Ryan Ellis, the director of hitting, they got rid of in January mm-hmm. quietly and, and tried not to say why. Uh, 
Uh, and, you know, Alderson discussing even in late September when asked, had he learned anything from the process with Trevor Bauer? And he said, you know, it's good that it didn't happen to us, which was not a, a really introspective answer in my mind. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, we haven't seen tangible action to this point, really. Uh, and I think we've got to get a better sense of that uh, over the that you know, whenever Epler is introduced, uh, what their whether their process was substantively different, uh, and and whether they feel why why or if they feel more comfortable with their vetting process now compared to last year, uh, and and how they uh, have or have not rewarded bad behavior, you know, with with a guy who hired and, and signed off on uh, the hiring of Callaway and, and had an organization where uh, you know the communications director was was peddling drugs to players. It doesn't, um, you know, and, and this is not holding it against Epler. It's holding against Alderson. Like, I don't get a strong sense that they're remorseful or, yeah, like you said, introspective about their hiring processes uh, and the ones that led them to to Porter and Callaway. Uh, that's, and, and I don't know. Like, I don't know for sure. That's just, I don't, I don't get that feeling. Uh, we got to wrap it up, Tim, but we've had... Um, a uh, regular listener, Clay Davis, has been asking a question for a while, and, and I want to weigh in with a guess before you answer it. He wants to know whether you have ever eaten Taco Bell. <laughs> and I'm going to say that you definitely have. So you are correct. I have had Taco Bell. Uh, I have been to one Taco Bell one time. Uh, and that's it. One. That's it. Uh, and it was it was a KFC slash Taco Bell uh, okay. in Durham, North Carolina when I was in college. Uh, and it is the only time I've been to Taco Bell and it's the only time I've been to KFC. Uh, and <sighs> that, see, that's I, that's surprising to me. I feel like I I know you've spent some time in Durham. Like I but I to me, it was like Tim's got Staten Island roots. He's like a real person. He's obviously been to Taco Bell. You know, because it we, it was not a fast food place we went to as kids. Uh, as kids, okay. it was it was McDonald's or Burger King. Like we didn't even go to Wendy's when I was a kid, even though it was in our town. Um, and then in we sampled the full arrangement, <laughs> like the full array of of of, of fast food re- restaurants that were available to uh, my family, especially when I was eating with my father. We were checking them out: Checkers, uh, Wendy's, everything that we had, wings and things. Like we had local ones, Trick's Chicken. Uh, everything. And then, you know, in college, uh, anyone who knows Durham knows Hillsborough Road has every fast food place you could possibly want to go to. Biscuitville. Uh, <laughs> cookout? Cookout. I know and, the North Carolina and, scene. Yeah. It's good. Cookout is is my personal favorite. I, I get cookout whenever I can. Uh, I believe it is the only, nice. I believe cookout's the only fast food place I've been to in 2021. Because um, I almost went to In-N-Out when I was in Carlsbad last week, but I didn't get a chance to. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I've I've straight I've I've gone away from fast food. You know, Taco Bell. There wasn't one in like I guess there was one in downtown Boston when I lived there, but I wasn't gonna, you know, I didn't eat a lot of Mexican food growing up. And then when I started liking Mexican food, it was like good Mexican food and not fast Mexican food. Uh, it's not a it's it's a it's Mexican inspired American fast food. Just to yeah yeah I do, I do not mean to to denigrate yeah. Mexican food by tying it into to Taco Bell. No, uh, it's just separate things. They're yes. just separate things. Uh, so uh, there was a, a place that was closer to my apartment in Boston that did very good tacos and burritos and such. Uh, and that was where I went instead. Uh, and so that's that's the story. I've never had a, I never ha- had a chalupa. 
I have been to Taco Bell, and I have had a chalupa. That's a long story short, is I have been to Taco Bell multiple times this week. I would like to, yeah, you and my college roommate, actually, my college roommate also, like, goes to Taco Bell. I don't know what it is now, but it used to be at so least So you lived with week. him in college, and you never went to Taco Bell with him? No, because he, he would just go after class. He, he had a car uh, for most of those years. Uh, and he would just hit it up after class, and, and he knew I did not, I did not care for it, so I wasn't gonna, he didn't get me anything. Well, maybe you need to give it a second chance, right? Like I, I, I don't know. I, to me, you don't, you can't do a lot better in like the mass, the big chain fast food places. Taco Bell on like a price to taste ratio, the tops. Well, you know, I've heard you, you, you know, I know you are a little bit older than me, but you do still work out. So I don't know. I'm I'm hitting the like the metabolism isn't the same. I can't eat the way I used to unless I change See, my uh, exercise habits. And I, you know, the changing the exercise habits is a lot harder than just let's keep not having Taco Bell. Um, that's true. But the see, I would say an advantage of Taco Bell is that you can go and just get like one or two things. And like, like a lot of people just go and they get like five tacos and they go overboard and they say, oh, if you keep eating Taco Bell, you're going to die because I remember the way I felt the last time I had five tacos. Go have two tacos and you feel fine. I'll think about it. I'll, I'll contemplate it. <laughs> All right. Well, you will have time. Uh, we will be back whenever there is next Mets news. Probably it'll happen sometime. Presumably they will find a manager before the season starts um, and, and ideally before the lockout begins. Yeah. Well, one note for fans, the Mets can, you know, in the event that the Mets do not have a manager on December 1st, the lockout would probably go into effect midnight going into December 2nd. That At that point, they can't sign players or trade for players like there's no player movement. Uh, but they would still be able to hire a coach, a manager and a coaching staff and like front office people. Uh, so that is, I guess, a saving grace for them because I don't know that they're going to hire everything before then. Well, that is um, something we will be able to look out for, Tim. And uh, until we next speak, peace out. Adios. Adios.